Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Micah Christensen, welcome back to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you very much. It is a thrill to be here again. I love doing this. Yeah, I'm glad because we get comments all the time of people who say you're their favorite part of the podcast. So I'm slightly offended by it, but I'm always glad to have you back. Do me a favor. <laughs> call me call me every morning and tell me that. Okay, I have a little bit yeah. of imposter syndrome when it comes to how much people care about this stuff. <laughs> and so it's a... Uh, it's good to it's good to hear that. Thank no, you. No, yeah, you're you're a huge asset. So I I'm excited to hear about what you're going to tell us about today. Well, you know, I I know that your your listeners have already heard me talk about Soroya, and this this will be another one of those times. But I've got a specific focus with this, and um, it has to do with what I've been doing over the past year and what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the year. And that is that uh, it's the 100th anniversary of Soroya's death this year. And there are about 18 exhibitions that have or will take place by the end of the year to celebrate the centenary. And I've seen all of them. I've been back to Spain three times. I'm going back two more times um, by the end of the year to see them. I've taken thousands of photographs. And um, I think that it's all in preparation of a book that I'm titling Educating Soroya about how he attained his arsenal of skills as an artist and developed in his early years. So today I thought that what we would talk about uh, would be what kind of environment was an artist like Soroya? We're going to use him specifically, but we're also going to talk generally about artists from his era. This is from you know, the, the last quarter of the 19th century, 1870s and on, which is the same era that people like Zorn and Sargent and Boldini and a lot of these, um, uh, if we're talking about American artists, we're talking about Eakins, this is the environment that they're all being educated into. And we're mm -hmm. gonna use Soroya as a specific example as to what it was like to grow up at that time as from from his childhood going into school until um, he has really his first public outing. So there will be a lot of images um, and uh, these are almost all taken from images I took at the exhibition um, Soroya Origenes or Soroya Origins at the uh, Museo Soroya in Madrid. And um, I think I think it'll be illuminating because I think that one of the things we do um, as people living today, 21st century, is we think, oh, I can never paint like these people because they had a completely different environment and a completely different education than what I had access to. And, and so I, I have this conversation with artists. They kind of lose hope when they see the work of some artists 
And they, is that really made... what you hear? Do you actually hear that? Because here's what I feel. I, I would say we have more resources and we just lack, or I personally just lack the genius. That's how I feel. It's like, it, I almost see them like they were superhuman or something. And even with the internet and YouTube, somehow it seems impossible to achieve that level. So I'm curious See, I, if you're if you're actually hearing that from artists that they're saying no we I didn't do, have those schools. I hear a comp so this is what I hear. I hear something about what you're saying which is oh they're geniuses and I'm not a genius. Yeah. Right? And and I can't be like them. Which I don't think is true. Because I don't think that it's genius that makes these people. I I think you can teach a lot of these skills, right? And I think that it's not a matter of Oh, they were a genius, and and uh, and that's that. So no one can ever do that. But I also hear, um, oh, the, the world has changed so much, and the way that we educate artists has changed so much that we can never catch up to the amount of time that they had to be educated. Hmm. I, I'll we'll revisit that question at the end of the discussion because I think it's a mixed answer. I don't want people to walk away from this discussion and say. I can do exactly what he did. I don't think we can reproduce circumstances, but I also do think that we can look at what he and his contemporaries experienced and say, you know what? There, there are things here that are very much like the environment we're living in. And maybe, maybe it's not out of our reach. And maybe these are, maybe, maybe we're putting them on too high of a pedestal um, in some ways. And in other ways, maybe we can do our own thing and we can't reproduce that thing that they did. Mm -hmm. So so with that, let's let's start with just where Soroya was as a mature adult, right? This image right here. This is Soroya, 1890s. He's in his um, mid-40s when he paints this. And this is... This is the height of his career, and it has almost all the harm hallmarks of a great Soroya. It's a multifigural composition. It kind of breaks the rules of what most academic art would be. Most academic art would say the most important figure in the brightest light and in the foreground of the image, and um, that there's a clear narrative going on in the image, and this, this you know, puts the brightest light at the background. It puts mm -hmm. all the figures in shadow and the gestures are all fairly minimal. And he draws your attention around the image, not with the, not with the obvious hand gestures, but often with the full bodies of like that boy in the foreground leaning forward, who's looking at the other boy. And then there's the man behind him who's got a kind of, you know, he's he's leaning and they're all having lunch in a boat, right? Mm -hmm. It's the kind of subject that if he went to one of his academic teachers, they would have said, you're breaking all the rules here. It's not a very clear image. Why would you want to paint these everyday people anyway, right? And why would you do it in such an obtuse way where all the values are the reverse of what they should be? Why don't you have them in the bright light, you know? Mm. Why can't we see their faces clearly? But this is what makes Soroya great. Takes an everyday subject, does everything in a very observational, subversive way, um, and makes it 
he he elevates a humble everyday subject and it makes you think it's a huge painting it's like eight feet wide wow right? this is an eight foot wide painting and it and and you look at it and you think huh um how quickly did he paint it um and we don't i don't know the answer to that but he surely didn't do it all in one go but it gives you the impression of being freshly done in one go almost right yeah it really that's, does huge brush that's, strokes that's how he did it you know he made everything look that fresh and that that well done but you know soroya Soroya went through a lot of steps to become this artist. He had to go through all of the basic academic uh, training of his day. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the fundamentals that he learned as a young man growing up in the south of Spain, which was far away from the center of the art world of his day. And we're going to talk about the skills that he developed. So that's let's exciting. Go to this first thing. Okay. Let's go. Yeah, I, I find it very exciting. So this is not by Soroya. Oh, There's I was going to say, are you kidding? That's Soroya? No. Okay. No, this is by an artist who was one of Soroya's first teachers. And, you know, we're not going to go into him in a great de detail, but this is why I'm bringing up this painting. It's a weird painting to us these days, right? I mean, this is mm -hmm. a really weird painting. Um, Soroya grew up in Valencia, which is in the south of Spain, on the coast and it's a fishing town that historically going back to even before the middle ages was famous for ceramics and fabrics. So it's got an artisanal tradition. It's got people who are used to making a lot of everyday objects. It's not a big fine art town, even though there were some people, Jose de Rivera, the famous Spanish painter was from there but most of his career was in Rome. And when Soroya was two years old, he, that was 1865, his parents both died of cholera. And he was raised by his maternal aunt and his uncle, who she was married to. And that man was a locksmith who specialized on boat locks. So Soroya, at the age of as early as seven and eight years old, was out working on boats with his uncle, changing locks. Hmm. But he's also got this, uh, this we, we call it the Vasari legend, because everybody's got this in their story who's an artist of great talent. They say, when he was eight years old, a piece of charcoal fell from the fireplace. And, <laughs> and... Uh, on the wall or on the floor or on the tabletop, he did a perfect portrait of everyone in the family. And we knew at that moment that he would be a great artist. <laughs> well, there's a similar story with Soroya that he was just doing portraits of people um, as a kid. And his, 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 uh, his aunt and uncle, realizing that, that he's got a little bit of talent, decide to send him to the School of Artisans, it's called that had just opened up literally like a year. He was, he was nine years old when it opened up, when he's showing this interest. And this painting is in the entrance of it. And it, it's a perfect allegory of what the school was all about. In the center of the painting, you've got this woman who's in armor, and she's Minerva, who's the Greek goddess of the arts. And she is standing in the foreground um, 
lifting up the blindfold of this little orphan boy who's able to see the abundance of the fine arts in front of him hmm. that she's showing to him. And in the background of them is a factory or school with smokestacks that's making pottery and fabrics. And then there's the ocean in the background of Valencia. The school was a night school because they knew the children were working. I mean, we're not talking about today's standards, right? This episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously. Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. So Soroya from the age of nine is going to school with adults and children learning how to paint ceramics, paint um, fabrics or design fabrics, and how to um, do um, uh, uh, color photographs. And, and he's, do, he's working during the day as a locksmith, and at night, at nine years old, he's going to this art school. And we've got the very first thing he ever did for it, which is the next image. That's incredible. It's, uh, nine years old. Yeah. He has a job he, and going to school. Yeah, and and you know he's got this little watercolor that he's done with the alpha with like a it's it's got his letters and it's got um, he's deck he's you know it's a form that they've given him almost like a paint by number right where they say here's a cartouche in the middle that you're gonna fill with us with some letters and then here's a little panel at the top that I want to make you to make an ever scene you want and he turned it into a seascape with boats he did this when he's nine years old. Yeah, that's, you know, so it's, that's incredible. It's, it, it's a classroom exercise, and he's kind of, we don't know how much of it is copied or made up, but it's a mix of things. He's probably getting a lot of help from his teachers, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's one, the teachers there, and this is what's key. The teachers there at this new school for artisans at night are teaching at the artisan school, and during the day are teaching at the Royal Academy of Fine Arts the adult anatomy classes, the geometry classes, the um, major, they're teaching fine artists during the day. Okay? Wow. So, so Soroya has a teacher who immediately takes interest in him and starts giving him harder assignments as a 10 year old. And that's where the next images were done when he was 10 <laughs> and 11. Okay, so he's copying this. This is copied from a from a color paint, a print. Sorry, from a from a print that he's got, and he wins an award for doing a um a copy of the Christ Child Asleep. That was a, I think this was done originally in the um, eighteen hundred to eighteen twenty period. It's a neoclassical image. It was a popular print. They're literally taking it out of a book, giving it to their students, and saying copy this but you have to add the shading and you have to add the body color so you know the the white in this is kind of a, a a um it's what they would have called body color but it's gouache right so he's added in that gouache white um 
into the body. So he's doing this. This is the first real work we have from him as a um, as a as a as a ten and eleven year old. So and, um, tell me more about that. I mean, how much do you think the teacher is aiding him? Is he transferring this from the from the reference, or is is he just copying by eye at eleven years old? I think we're not seeing a lot of the work that he's doing in the classroom between this and the thing we saw before. I think that he's probably given what a lot of art students are at that young age, and we're given in the Middle Ages even up into this period, which is they're given what's called onion paper, which is basically a transparent paper, mm -hmm. and they're they're gritting they're gritting and tracing out things okay. in order to understand proportion and and what we're seeing is probably the culmination of one year's work. His his one you know at the end of the year they're judged on one major work that they have to do and he's probably done you know twenty or thirty things before he did this that we're not seeing and this was the thing that he did which is probably a combination of um, him transferring some of it and then being given the responsibility to shade it and to put the highlights on it and he's probably being judged not by the accuracy of copying it, but by his, his uh, interpretation of shade and highlighting. Yeah, That's probably so he's being judged he's on modeling form. That's right, that's right. right. So he's doing this as a young, as a boy, um, and, and he's not really inventing it, right? Yeah. He's at all, it's, it's entirely him um, and if you were to look at the original print, you could see that he's he's made some things less complicated than other things. He's backed off on the fabric complication. He's backed off on the foliage. And, and I mean, he's 11, you know, he's, yeah. he's 11 years old. And, you know, is it is it uh, terribly difficult stuff that he's doing? You know, he's got a lot of guidance and and uh, and and. He, he clearly his teachers compared to other class classmates that are working at the same time see that he's got some talent so they start putting him into some advanced oil painting classes in the school mm -hmm. and and uh he starts going out on a regular basis with a man named ignacio pinazo and ignacio pinazo has trained in rome and he's been working with a group of artists that are called the, um, oh, they're an Italian group um, that kind of predate the Impressionists. Um, they're called, oh, why is the name escaping me? It'll come to me while we're talking. Okay. But they're going out in the open and they're painting with oil. And so Soroya, from the age of, um, let's see, it's 1880. So now he's 15 years old. He's doing the next images. Hmm. 14 and 15 years old. Wow. He's going out and he's painting directly in plain air. He did this one when he was um, 1880 to 1882. He's born in 63. He's 16, 17 years old doing this. Hmm. Incredible. <laughs> and, um, and this is what's unique to being Spanish at the time. And also, I don't know if it's unique to being Spanish. This is what's happening on a meta level. So let's back off in what's happening in Europe in general. In the 18, 
um, 60s and 70s, the French decide um, that the French had previously not had oil painting as part of their curriculum at their school system. You would go um, as a, a, a to a, a regional school as a, as a, a teenager, and you would learn how to draw from um, Cass, and then um, you'd be partial Cass, and then the full classical Cass, and then the nude model posed in classical statue positions, all in graphite or charcoal. Mm-hmm. And then you would be sorted into a teacher's studio, usually like a Jerome or a Picot or uh, a Duran or somebody like that. No, Duran wasn't really part of the Ecole de Beaux-Arts or a uh, uh, Leon Bonin. And you would be gradually introduced to oil painting after graduation or at the very last stage of graduation from the school. The school was there just to teach you drawing. And even Aang and a lot of these teachers would report, would, would, would repeat this phrase of, um, give me a, a, somebody who wants to paint and I'll teach them to draw and they will become a painter. Mm-hmm. We're not going to teach them any painting skills, right? We're going to teach them drawing. Painting is something they have to learn on their own or under the mentorship of a working artist, not from us. This changed in the 1860s and 70s where all of the schools started to believe in the importance of plain air painting because they see plain air as an in, as a as a skill in and of itself mm-hmm. and they're going um they kind of adopt watercolor at first but then the schools realize that you know we should really be doing oil painting part of this is because the technology of oil painting changed tubes were introduced. This sounds crazy to artists living today, but it wasn't until the early 19th century that we had the ability to carry around tubed oil paint. It was an English invention. And so you could finally go out with with oil without having to regrind or mix it on a regular basis. It could not it could stay in a tube and not dry out. And artists are going out and painting and in Spain, which is where Soroya comes in, They had made a rule in the 1860s, and this is so crucial, and this is something we may not be able to reproduce in our day, where they said, any school that teaches history, geography, and language can be counted as a general education school and will receive government funding to educate anyone who qualifies to attend. In other words, you could be a fine art academy and say, Add a teacher that taught geography um, and oh, and math was part of it too, and language and history. And all of a sudden, you could have government funding for your art school. Mm. Right? So you've got a Royal Academy, and the Royal Academy, they, they keep pretty strict standards based on talent, and it costs money to go to this school. But they say to Soroya, after seeing his talent at this artisanal night school that he's going to, they say, um, look, we really, they say to his aunt and uncle, we'd really like him to come to the school. He's got talent. And they say, we don't have money. And they say, it's no problem. Um, we've got this uh, Antonio Perez, who's a, a local photographer, and he needs an assistant who can colorize his photos. And this guy was a pioneer in, in Spanish and European portrait photography. 
He'll pay for Soroya to go to school as long as he colorizes photos in his off school hours. Wow. So this this man becomes Soroya's father-in-law. Soroya marries his daughter. And Soroya is using photographic equipment the whole time he's going through fine arts school from the age of like 13, 14. He's colorizing photos, taking photos, and he's had his education paid for. And he doesn't have to go to general education school like everybody else. He goes to an art school where he's doing 90% arts education and 10% geography, math, language, and other skills that the school is doing as part of the government program. Mm -hmm. So he at the age, this is him. By, he, by the time he's been in the school for a year or two, this is the kind of work he's doing. We can go to another image. You can see, you can get an idea of the kind of stuff he's doing in plain air. Probably, sorry, that's an earlier image. Let's skip that one. Keep going. Okay. Okay, so this is probably a combination. These two images that you were just showing, these are all done in the same year or two period of him doing a combination of probably plain air and working in the classroom. He's probably, you know, you can see that he's got the plain air that he's put down first. And with that, that figure that's on the right, you can see that it's drawn over the top. Yeah, right? that's true, yeah. So he's, he's probably adding in that figure later after he's laid down the, the rest of it by doing it out in the field. So he, you know, he's getting a very practical education of let's go out and with your oil kit, let's go out and let's do a, and these are small paintings. I mean, we're talking like, they're probably like five inches by, you know, nine or 10 inches. They're not big at all. Yeah. That's he's doing small. a lot. Of that's small. It makes yeah. for tiny little heads. And you can see that there's not a huge amount of detail in the bodies. A lot of it is just kind of like he's getting down to the, the figural gesture of what the figure is, the arm raised. The, it, there's some proportions that he's got right, some that he's got wrong. He's got the bend in her waist pretty well down at the figure on the right. But the figure on the left, eh, you know, the, ar the, the length of that upper arm isn't, and the lower arm isn't quite right on her left arm, right? But, but it's, it's stuff that he's, he's trying to figure out how to put her into the physical space too, right? He's, he's kind of stuck her in a little further back than the other figure. And he's put her in the middle of this gourd patch, this, and he's, he's just pasted her in essentially, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But he's, he's also learning interesting skills. He's learning how to shade her face with her hand raised up, right? And He's got the highlights on her, uh, like uh, across her, her sternum, going to her arm, down the sleeve. He's got where the shadows are. He's not overworking stuff. And this is what Ignacio Pinasso is known for, who is his teacher. He was known for not overworking things. Keep everything brief and, and, uh, and uh, use, use just as little information, little um as you need to get the information across. Don't overpaint was mm -hmm. something that he would often tell his students. To so go to the next image, and you'll get a couple more of these ideas of how he, uh, how he would do this. You know, this is, again, a small image. We're talking like an eight by four, eight by five. 
and and he's 16, 15, 16 at this point. What do you see as you're looking at these? I mean, it's refreshing to see <laughs> to see that he's human. You know, because they he, he's clearly you know, clearly not evolved yet. I mean, they're not bad paintings, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see the humanity in him, frankly. There's this uh this study that was done, I was reading this recently. I've been kind of obsessed with chess lately. And they showed that chess grandmasters aren't superior to normal people in any particular way. They don't have better reasoning skills. They don't have better mathematical skills. They don't have better um, uh, skills when it comes to, you know, visually seeing things that we don't see. What they have is they have thousands of more games in their databanks. And so they recognize patterns that they become familiar with and they put into play when they're doing their work mm. as a chess player. And I think that that's what we're seeing here is that Soroya had teachers who at the school recognized, and it's part of the environment of working with oils now in the last quarter of the 19th century, of instead of we're going to do careful drawings that lead to one final painting at the end of a month or at the end of a quarter, at the end of a year, and judge you at the end of all those studies leading up to the one work. Instead of that, we're going to have you do dozens and dozens of tiny paintings. That was the curriculum. Hmm. And the dozens of dozens of tiny paintings means that at a young age, he has a comfort level with oil painting that I think the previous generation of artists didn't have even compared to him, right? Because that, that curriculum change in the 60s and 70s meant that he was even more familiar with oil painting than many of his teachers were 10 or 15 years later in their career than he was. Because he was working early in oil over and over again. That grandmaster chess player analogy is spot on. Because yesterday I was painting with this painter who actually had on the podcast, Ellie Wilson. And uh, we went oh, yeah. up one of the canyons. We did three different scenes. And um, I was really struggling because it was sort of a partly cloudy day. It rained half the day, or at least part of the day. And there were these huge clouds blocking the sun. So we'd have no light and then lots of light and this, that, and the other. And I was amazed how she improvised. And, was, and, mm. and what I noticed about her was that she had painted these things before, maybe not these exact same scenes, but these problems before. And I was, yes. as, as an inexperienced plein air painter, I was sitting there going, now what am I supposed to do? It's a totally different light. I've never seen, I've never done a scene like this before. This is a new experience for me. And it was clear to me that she had solutions already in her, you know, in her bank of information, like collected. And she applied them. I mean, with the last painting she did, she cranked it out in, I don't know, a half an hour while wrangling her toddler who kept on falling out of the van and, and whatnot. I'm not even kidding. I mean, she's yeah. she's something else. And uh, But she had done it with the light changing, and you could tell she was just drawing on experience. It was so obvious. 
And, you know, I think that they, she would say the same thing about you if she was trying to paint a portrait next to you. You know, you hear this occasionally that, that art is just problem solving often, right? And how do you solve this problem that's in front of you? And, and it, it really, it really is when you're Soroy and you're looking at the problems he's trying to solve in these early images, it's not a lot about drawing accuracy in what he's doing in these early pieces. He, he's, he's mostly trying to get value and, and color, right? He's trying to get these very basic things down. It's not, you know, the French academic teachers would have flipped out seeing these images because they would have said, you know, he's not learning the basis of art, which is drawing. And he doesn't have an accurate outline on these figures. He's just doing vague spots where things are. And the, the, the rubric has changed. And I think if you showed up, if you dropped your, your pin on anywhere in Europe at this time in the 1870s, you would have gotten different emphasis, right? In, in, uh, in France, there would have still been a strong emphasis on drawing. In, in, uh, in Italy, there was more of an emphasis on this kind of oil painting because of what had gone on in uh, among the people that that uh, that that Pinasso Soroy's teacher was involved in, in England they're doing the French model. In the United States they're doing the French model. In Germany they've almost not introduced oil at all. So there's no oil, really. You're almost doing entirely work from drawing. You were even going out as a German painter and doing line, landscapes as careful line drawings. Hmm. It's a very different, so you, it's all over the map, but in Spain, it's oil, 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 oil. Um, look at the next couple images with me. So if you go to the next one, you can see that it's even more about these very careful um, color transitions that he's trying to get down and values. So he's got, you know, a little patch of dark in the foreground on the right, but he's he's kind of got a... Um, a uh, a golden mean going on right where the trunk of that tree is mm -hmm. it's not halfway it's about you know exactly where that golden mean is and that's exactly also where that that horizon line is and you can see he's trying to make this painting interesting by using the fence line to lead you back with the highlights along those rails on the fence it's not a super successful painting you know he's but he's he's you can see that he's he's reaching right he's like okay how do i take this this subject with all of these greens I'm seeing in the one image and show a differentiation between the greens and the foreground, the background, the middle ground. How do I get that dark forest light? It's, it's not super successful. But then at the same time in the classroom, he's doing, so this is what he's going out and doing outside in plain air painting. And he's simultaneously doing the next image, the next two or three images. Oh, wow. That's Which different. are these very carefully organized still life paintings with lots of color and very careful drawing. But yeah, it's the very drawing linear. is done. Very linear. Yes. But it's done with a brush. It's linear with a brush. You can even see if you're looking at them, that he's drawing the lines with the brush on the canvas. And you, you can see it in the next, and these are small again. They're not monumental pieces. This is Soroya? This one's, this is Soroya. He's, you know, 
16, 15, 16, 17 years old doing these pieces. <laughs> that is surprising. Look at the next one. The it, next one it is looks really like, ambitious. It looks like 200 years older than Soraya. And you know, a lot of that is because he's being given old master stuff to look at. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, wow. it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's on a, as a subject matter, it's kind of boring, right? I mean, it's who would, who would want to own this Soroya as the Soroya they own? Hardly anybody, right? But as a challenge for a young artist, that's a pretty ambitious piece. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at, look, he's got one of my favorite things is look at the carnation on the left. And look at on that polished wood surface, how he's got the green reflection and the white reflection mm -hmm. that's pooling in there, which is just like, it's so beautifully handled. And he's just a, he's just a kid, you know, he's like 16, 17 years old. And he's, he's like the brass of that foot that's reflecting in the sharp part of the table. This is a show off piece. You know, he's, he's really showing how far he's come with his drawing skills with his coloring skills, with his paint application. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there really is. Honestly, if you crop this painting right here, it would actually be quite a beautiful painting. That's what the next painting is. The next painting, I think, is either a study for it or just another one. I think it is oh, a study Oh, how funny is that? And, yeah, it's so funny that you'd say that. But, but you know, he doesn't have the reflection on the surface no. here. But, but I think this does show his real confidence with, laying down paint and brushwork mm -hmm. at this point, right? I mean, he's only like 16 or 17 years old here. Yeah. Confident, confident for a 16 or 17 year old, but not confident for his, uh, for the 40 year old Soroya. No, 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 no not at all. You can see the and, struggle and in here. He is overdoing this compared to what he was doing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's really, a lot of like fidgeting inside those those uh those lines and laying down multiple 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 layers in yeah, some areas yeah i imagine if he had done this pedal down here in his 40s it would have been one or two strokes and yeah. but he's sort of picking at it trying to trying to make sense of the shape and but he hasn't got the drawing skills to just hit it in a few strokes like he does 10 or 15 no. years later so before we go to the next image, let me explain what's what's going on now. So now that he's in his third year at the academy, um, he's roughly you know seventeen years old. He's been he's he's able to submit works to a national contest called the Exposition, the National Exhibition, which is the equivalent of the French Salon for Spain. Every country has this at this point, and this is the environment that we've got in America too. By the way which is there's a you've got all of these regional academies that are working under the curriculum of a national school. The national school for Spain is in Madrid, for France it's in Paris, for England it's in London, for you know Germany they've got their various schools too. And uh, what you do is you kind of if you're from a regional school like Soroya, you don't know the judges and you're competing against all the students who have been in Madrid, who the teachers know really well. So you don't want to go on a head-to-head -head battle with their students doing figurative work or landscape work. 
mm-hmm. in your first outing at the national competition. You want to do something that is a little different than what everybody else is, and maybe in a category that doesn't put you up against the heavy hitters. So what he submits when he's 17 years old are two marine scenes from the Valencian port. And that's what the next two images are. I've been doing Jeff's online mentorship program for about a year now, and it is awesome. Everything is online, super streamlined. If you can be there, I mean, you have the ability to talk to him once a week and he can review your work and help you. If you can't be there, it's pre-recorded. You can go back and even re-watch things if you missed something during class or couldn't be there. So the online portion of it is almost better than real life because you can always go back to it, which is awesome. The demos are recorded. It's just like all available whenever you need it. And I'm a stay-at-home mom of four and my time is limited and it's also very interrupted. And so to be able to go back has been clutch for me. And you get to work with Jeff Hine, who's awesome. He's tough. The assignments are simple, but difficult. And they're difficult to make us all better. And he's able to give us these assignments, coach us through it, help us stay excited to progress. And so it's just been a great experience. I am so grateful that he has been willing to take time away from his own art to offer all of us to have it. So if you're thinking about doing it, it's amazing. If you're interested in learning more about how you could study with me, either online or in person, check out heinatelier.com. That's H-E-I-N-A-T-E-L-I-E-R.com. And they're all done. They're, these aren't huge either. These are like 12 by 30, like 14 by 30. And they're competent and they're not what he's normally doing for his classwork. They're almost entirely, you can tell, his teacher's saying to him, look, you just want to get on the radar of the people in Madrid. You don't, like, at the, in the capital. And you don't want to try and do a figurative work because you're not ready to compete with them, and they're not going to take you seriously anyway. You just want to go there, do a work that's good enough to get accepted, maybe not an award, and you want to be able to go there and introduce yourself to all the people who are the judges. So you get to know the lay of the land, right? Mm-hmm. So he submits he submits two of these ocean these uh, seascapes. They get accepted, and you know he gets mild recognition for them. But what he really does when he's up there is introduce himself as the new kid from from the from the province. It's like you know imagine that you're you know I don't know what the equivalent would be of it today, but. You know, imagine that like New York's got this competition. Everybody knows each other in New York. And then some kid shows up from Nebraska who they've never heard of before. And he submitted these two works and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I can tell you're from Valencia because you're doing a seascape because, you know, that's an ocean town. And uh, yeah, these are these are really good. It's nice to meet you. Uh, Good to know you and can't wait to see what you do next year kind of thing. Uh Right. But while he's there, he has the excuse because he's he's he he has the excuse from the school and from his scholarship that's given to him by the photographer to spend a few weeks in Madrid. And he uses that time 
to copy works by Velasquez in the Prado. And that's what the next images are. They're his works. So this is a small study that he's done of, I've got the, the full image by Velasquez in the next shot. So you can compare them side by side if you want to. Oh, you, you've shown us this one do, before. Yeah, so he this is this is the most copied work of Velasquez by artists in the 19th century and he's copying the most copied moment from the painting. It's it's painting is called Las Hilanderas or the Weavers and Velasquez 300 250 years before Soroya is capturing this this um action of a woman who's who's uh, who's making yarn, right? Who's weaving the wool into a ball. And it was seen as, as, a, as, as Velasquez was seen as someone by the Spaniards. Everybody who's got a school of art has got their pantheon of gods that they're trying to emulate. If you're French, you're looking at this time at David, you're looking at Ang, you're looking at... Um, uh, at, at uh, mostly French artists with a few classical artists like Poussin. If you're English, you're looking at Joshua Reynolds. You're looking at um, Anthony Van Dyke. That's who you're worshiping. If you're Spanish, everybody's trying to do Velasquez. Uh -huh. So what does Soroya do as, he, as an artist from Valencia that has one or two Velasquez's, but nothing major like they do in Madrid? He uses his time to try and copy the big one. So he does this moment. Then he does, I'll show you, the, the, here, there are three more that we can kind of quickly go through, just to show that he's, he's doing master copies. So this is, a, just, this is a, a headshot from the Surrender of Breda, which we talked about in another podcast. And you can see an image of it next. The next image is, is the, oh, is, yeah. it's just the head, right? But it's, he's trying to get how Velasquez managed that central portion of the focus of the painting and this is a dirty painting i was kind of upset when i went to the exhibition that they hadn't had this painting cleaned so i don't know how good it was that how good soroya's copy was because this is a very dirty painting he wouldn't have painted it hmm. that off on its values um it's the same with the next painting which is he's looking at um um Mars, the god of war. This is a tiny painting. He did a tiny copy of that piece. That's Velasquez. And that's his copy. Which the hard thing about this painting is getting all of the flesh tones right. Because the Velasquez does this at his most mature. And it's a brilliant study in all of those flesh tones. Yeah. And Soroy is really trying to trying to get them get all the highlights right, trying to get all the reds right. It's also a dirty painting, so we can't really see how well Soroya did because it's very dirty. But we can at least see that what he's trying to do mm -hmm. when we look at the Velasquez. These are the things that he's trying to get right. There's hmm. one more, I think. And these are all small copies. This one's actually a full size. This is a Velasquez painting of a of Menippus, a kind of you know a a a, a, a figure that was a, a Greek writer, and uh, you've got Velasquez's version, 
This is Soroya's version. That's Velasquez's version. And this is the only one that Soroya does full size. I don't know why he chooses that. Because hmm. of all of them, it's, it's interesting that he would make that one the full size image. But that's what he does. He does a full size of Menippus. But, you know, those are those hmm. are four pretty serious attempts, right? He's 17 years old, and he's doing Velasquez copies that are, you know, pretty competent for somebody who's doing his first try at him. You think he's doing him right out of a museum? I mean, he must be, right? I know that he is. Yeah. I know that he is, because I've actually got the signatures of the days that he went on the Prado's Too copies cool. book. They've got a copies book. So you can see the day that he's gone and that he's reserved the space to go and copy and study these. And um, he's not taking a lot of time. He doesn't have a lot of time. So these are things that he starts in Madrid and he finishes in Valencia. But even then, these aren't month-long projects. He's painted these all in days and weeks, right? Wow. They're not, they're not, huge projects because he's got to quickly go back and do his final year of paintings and he does many paintings which is what we're going to see the last year of work at the academy and his goal is to do a number of works for a school contest and then on top of that have a major work that he can send to madrid so in one year he does several major works and a few minor works and we're going to quickly see these he did these all from the age of 17 to 18. So this is a street scene, tiny, but we see another, you know, another level of him controlling yeah. light and drawing, right? Yeah, that's much more sophisticated. Much more. And look at the, you know, the, he, he looks just like his teacher, Pinasso here, who's doing these, it's almost like they're Parisian street scenes, but in the south of Spain. Mm -hmm. That's what they look like. Mm -hmm. So they're influenced by what's going on in in uh, Spain, too. And in fact, the artist that he's most obsessed with at the time, from what we understand, is Adolf von Menzel. And Menzel is a German artist who's famous for doing being for doing a lot of street scenes, a lot of street scenes. Um, and um, keep going through a lot of these. You'll 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 keep see there's just a lot of them. We won't hit them oh, all. Man, these are cool. But you can see. He's doing them, um, these are 1882, he was born in 60, he's 19 years old when he's doing this, 1819. Um, the next one, we don't have a year on this, but this is an unfinished work, and you can see what his underpainting looks like as he's doing a multi-figure. Oh, I'm glad to see this scene. because I noticed in this one, you can see the drawings of the figures barely around these figures here. And then when you go, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting because that's not how we worked later in life. And then, nope. yeah, and you see it here. You see him kind of figuring out their proportions and their position yep. and stuff. Yep. Oh, that's too cool. These figures up here on the balcony. How awesome is that? Yeah, and you can see that he's doing it fast, right? I mean, he would do this in, a, in, in a, you know, this, he would have to record this in a matter of a couple hours. He would do that, right? Right. He, would, he would get the basic outlines. And, and then, you know, people aren't going to stay still for you, but he's sitting in this square. He's getting, he's probably on one day getting the architectural stuff down that's the basic architectural. And then he's going in and filling in a bunch of figures. And they would describe these things as a few hour exercise of him doing this and then filling in the rest later. 
Hmm. Um, so uh, um, he's he's kind of it's this, and he's not doing it as a drawing exercise, right? Which is the way the French would have done it. He's already got at this point four or five years of oil painting, plein air oil painting under his belt. Right. Yeah. And he's also simultaneously taking drawing lessons. So he's he's drawing in oil um, the figures. He's he's doing plein air painting skills and he's forced to work fast. Now, I'm going to use a quote from Van Gogh because we've got a quote from Van Gogh, even though I know that they're nothing alike. So people, please forgive me. But Van Gogh used to say, I can paint fast and heavy. I can't go slow and light. I think you could say the same thing with with Soroya in his age. He was not trained to paint slow. He could go fast. He couldn't he was not trained to paint slowly. It was everything quickly, everything captured on a fly and quickly. Man, that's interesting. So, so another thing I want to point out though is as he's using perspective drawing skills as well. You can see how he's got lines ruled to vanishing points through here mm. yes um yes but he's also got multiple vanishing points and uh mm. yeah and that's interesting because you know you had mentioned before we started recording that you're a fan of james gurney and i just interviewed james gurney and uh he had talked about how these old buildings these old cities they're they're often not constructed parallel to one another you know, cause it's true. Yeah. And so you're going to have all these varying vanishing points and, and yeah, you see that with his, I mean, from balcony to balcony, they have three different vanishing points and he's clearly looking for those. So he's doing a lot of stuff. Boy, that's a good study. observation. That's a good, I never would have picked that up. That's a great observation from you and, and James. That's great. So right, one thing so... we haven't seen at this point is we haven't seen him do single monumental figures which he starts doing at the end of his education. He's done a lot of nude studies, which I haven't shown you because we just don't have time for all these, mm -hmm. right? But this is the point where he starts doing, his last year, a lot of large figure studies or figure paintings. And this piece is not huge, but it's like four feet tall, right? And, and uh, it's a complicated scene. He's got still life elements. He's got, you know, the figure itself sitting in physical space. He's got a lot of confidence with the fluidity of paint in some places. It's a little fidgety and wonky in some areas, but it's, he gets away with it, right? He gets away with a lot in this. It's pretty sophisticated it's, it, in some areas. I mean, the way he simplified the fabric, this white fabric around his legs, and also this shawl, it's just, mm. it's pretty, pretty brilliantly simplified. He also, I mean, look at the bottom of that foot. Look at the way that he's handled. Um, you, he's trying to, he, he's looking at an artist named Mariano Fortuny, who's kind of famous at this point. And for, mm -hmm. he's kind of showing his teachers that he can do Fortuny-esque stuff. Um, he's also looking at an artist named Maisonnier. If you look at the next image, um, there's a little bit of Maisonnier in that. And um, boy, this is an ambitious piece for, I mean, look at how, if, if the other one was a little um, fluid in the way that the oil paint was and the simplification of, of, the, of how those fabrics 
um, went up and down. Look at how many different kinds of reds he's got here and how he's got the little wrinkles in the sock on the guy's right leg. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, and just the, the, the holding of whatever he's holding on his table and the guy's gesture in the background. This is the kind of thing that was very sophisticated. Um, even the French would have looked at this and said, okay, he's on par with the drawing skills of our students in their final years. So it's not like he's neglected these other skill sets. I don't understand, and this is something, one reason why I'm doing this study on educating Soroy is, I don't quite understand how the Spanish get some of the same results or similar results as the French do, even though they're not focusing on drawing skills with the same level of ardor, the same zeal. Um, because it seems like Soroya does have a lot of the same drawing skills. Maybe not, I mean, the, I, I clearly don't see the same things that a 19th century French academic teacher would see. I'm sure that they would criticize Soroya. But he's, he's, he's still in the ballpark. I don't know, by the time Soroya is mature, he, he's a better draftsman. I mean, in my personal opinion, it's just one guy's opinion. It's harder to paint loose and quick and bold, and it's harder to draw loose and quick and bold than it is to do a precise linear drawing huh. and then fill it That's in with color. Because you've got to get it right, nail it, nail it, and have one stroke do multiple things instead of just kind of, you know, it almost be like, uh, this is probably a stupid analogy, but it would be like building a house by just throwing the concrete wood and sheetrock all into a pile and having it land in the in the shape of a house as opposed to mm. slowly building the foundation and then slowly putting up the framing and then slowly doing the sheetrock mm. it's like what he's doing he's just throwing it all down at one time and it's a figure and it's accurate and it's right that's a really good insight and, and i i think that and what i'm about to say i think we can take with a grain of salt too he says that after this period, which we're not going to talk about the period after this period, but we will at another occasion, potentially. He says, you know, after I graduate and then he goes to Rome because he he wins an award and he's able to go study at the at the national school in Rome. He starts working with a guy named Pradia. We talked about Pradia at another yep. occasion. Um, and he says, Pradia really made my drawing what it should be. I think that everybody's insecure about their skills. You know, and so I don't think it means to say that he, this his drawing at this stage was crap, but he's he is insecure at this age about his drawing. He's only, you know, 18 years old right now. So it says 83. Um, Wasn't he born in 63? Oh, he's 20. He's so 20. He's 20, right. yeah. he's 20 years. You're right. He's 20 years old. So, um, by the way, this year, go to the next image is the year of a competition. It is his final year competition. And this is what the competition looks like. Wow. It's, they've got this hall, and, um, and, and uh, they've got all the statues lined up on one big long table, and they've got all the paintings on, on uh, either side. And you can see that that roof above them is one that's their classroom at the school where they can flood in more light if they want to. That's fabric at the top. So this is where his classroom is, and it's where the competition takes place. And we're going to see the four paintings that he submits to the contest. 
And the last painting is the one that he went out of the four is the one that he wins the top award for his graduating year for. So next image is these are the four that he submits at the end of the year. And he submitted them all at the same time. Uh-huh. And that's the one he wins the award for as this best painting. That's the one, huh? Yeah, which kind of surprises me because I think I, I think the 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 boy with his outstretched arm is my favorite. I agree. That's that's my favorite too. But if I were to pick a portrait, I would have picked the first one. Yeah. I like this one better. Yeah, you know, that's contest for you. You know, it's that's it's contest. somewhat subjective. But this is what he submits to show that he has all the skills he needs hmm. to graduate from school. So he's got portraiture. You can see that he's got some of the props in that that second painting. He's got some of the flowers and I think some of the props from his still life. Yep. Yeah. You know? He's got he's got he's just showing his whole arsenal here. And they're all fairly large. They're all about, you know, four feet by two feet. They're not life size. Yeah, these, not... these two are far more difficult too. It's so interesting. Contests are strange. <laughs> I they mean, strange, these two middle them? figure ones are so much more complex. Yeah, they are. But you know what? If I had asked you if Soroya had done these, these don't look like Soroya to you. No, they still either. don't look like Soroya, but. And, and that goes to show that he has to jump through the hoops of an academy, right? He has to do what the teachers want. He's not painting what he wants. He's painting things in order to tick boxes to get approval of what he needs. And it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to win. And he also, at the same time he's painting these four pieces, he's preparing a monumental, like, six-foot by 12-foot painting to go to the National Exhibition in Madrid. And that is the next painting that is the thing that takes up his whole year to paint. This piece, you would have never guessed is by Soroy. Never. No. Ever. No. <laughs> Holy this, cow. So, okay, so and he's 21. He's 21. Oh, freaking I so, hate this guy. He's 21. This painting is roughly, I think, 8 by 12 feet wide. And he's um, the subject is the defense of Rome when the French invade in the 2nd of May. Remember that famous painting by Goya of the 3rd of May where those people are being shot? Yes. In a lineup? Yeah. So the 2nd of May, which Goya also did a painting of that, is the day before those men are executed when the Spanish make their last stand at the gates against the French and they lose. And you got to remember that Soroya is living at a time when there is hardly any private market for art in Spain. The biggest market for art is the government, and the government is commissioning huge history paintings that are celebrating national moments of pride for their buildings. Mm -hmm. So Soroya is trying to get a big payday here by painting the defense of Madrid. Not a Valencian subject. You know, it's a Madrid subject where the contest is taking place. So he's deliberately painting a subject to try and show the judges that he's not just a regional painter, right? He's He understands what's important to Madrileños, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're these, uh, he, he understands and he's he's got the uniforms down. He's got this 
very dramatic historical scene in large scale. Now, what they did at the show, which was wonderful, is they showed a lot of his studies. And that's what you're going to see next. First, you're going to see his small final study, which is tiny. No, sorry. This is the this is just some of his ink studies that he's trying to get uniforms down, which Wait is a, a little perplexing. What the heck? Yeah, that is perplexing. Out of context. I have no idea what to make of this. I don't because either. Because they just they they show it out of context. I think he's just trying to get little things down, like what does a foot look like that's being lifted up off the ground? What does it look like when a uniform um, is being, you know, the, the bicep area is being scrunched up and, you know, it's just little things. What's more helpful are the things I'm about, you're about to see, which is go to the next image. You know, can I comment here? I think I, I almost wonder, I don't know. I'm not sure of this by any stretch, but to me, it looks like, He's trying to just understand the costume. Yeah. Details of costume, like what this embroidery looks like, what this cuff looks like, what this, you know, what the details of this hat are, and like getting historical accuracy in the costume. Yeah. That's but there's it's but I don't know. It's it's not I think he would be embarrassed if 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 somebody said, Oh, this is what Soroya looks like when he's drawing. This is something he was proud of. So this is one of the faces in it. He's trying to is Get it actually in there? Down. Let's see if we can find it. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. Maybe it didn't make the cut. Maybe it didn't. Huh. It could be this guy in reverse, but let's see. Um, oh, you know. you know what? This is somebody. This is for another painting I'm going to show you. Oh, it is. It about the same okay. time. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. This is a boy in the foreground who was killed. This are this is study for that painting the, too. You know, they say it is. I'm not sure it is, but they put it in the same grouping. The what boy an on the ground. Study. Is, but I think that. And then this is the final oil study that he did for the painting. About how big was this? That is roughly twenty by thirty. I think. Now, why was he doing oil studies? Velasquez wouldn't have done an oil study. He would have just gone right into the painting. This is also just, I think, I think he had to, he was, I think he, this is where French mode comes in. This is where French mode comes in for these artists. French mode was, okay, guys, let's do a line drawing. Then let's do individual studies of each element of the painting in pencil. Then let's do a final line drawing of the whole painting then let's do a color study of the whole painting and then we'll do the full painting i don't think he did all of those steps the way a frenchman would but he did some of them right? well what was the destination so, of this painting again it was the the national exhibition which is the equivalent of the salon in in uh, spain so there was no so patron. he's gonna go there was no patron he was just trying to impress he was trying to impress and hoping huh. that the state would buy the painting in the end. Well, because right? my thought was maybe this was for the patron, but that doesn't, that wouldn't be the case. No, I think he's doing it because he just wants to make sure it's, you know, there's a lot at stake here. This is the launching of his career. He probably wants to show that he knows that he's done all his work, right? 
Do we have That's a we drawing? Because there's a grid in here. I see a grid, and I wonder if there's a preliminary they, drawing. They didn't have one. Look at the next two um, pieces. The next two pieces you see, these are life-size oil paintings. Life-size life is in size. the size of the painting or the, of life-size figures? Life-size figures. Wow. Life-size figures. And so he's, we, they, these are the, all that they had up in the show. So I'm showing you all that they had, but I'm sure that you know he's doing all of these. He's 20, 21, right? And no, he's 19, 20, he's 20, 20 years old. And he's doing them all in preparation for the painting. So he's doing, instead of the French, if we just took what's here, we would say, okay, he's clearly breaking down each element of this painting like a French academic artist would, but he's doing it more in oil than they would have. He's doing it almost exclusively in oil. We don't have all the drawings. Maybe he's doing drawings too. But to me, these, these um, oil studies that are life-size are better than the final painting. They almost always are. They right? are really when cool. You're doing, they're really good. They're really good. Oh well, I got. I jumped then, ahead. Or are we? Yeah, go do back. Stay go here? back. Okay. That's the last image. We'll we'll go back. Let's go back. So go back to the finished painting again. Not that one. Not that one. Okay. Okay. He's. You can see, almost to its detriment, and later he says in his life, he says it you know, a few years later, that this was a period of his life where he was just trying to make it in Madrid, make it nationally, but he wasn't being true to himself. I think, I take hmm. that with a grain of salt because I don't really, I don't, you know what? When artists say that, or when I read that as an art historian, I think, who cares if you were true to yourself at this point? It's not your job to be true to yourself at this point. <laughs> right? You don't, You're trying to figure out who you are. It's not your job. Your job is to show your competitors, your rivals, and your teachers that you have the skill set. Right? So you're pulling out everything you possibly can to make this work. Right? And later you're going to figure out, after you've established to the other monkeys in the zoo that you can do what they can do and better than they can do it or just as well, then you can figure out who you are. This stage is all about what we all go through. You know, we just have, like my kid just went off to college. My eldest just went off to college. That's where I am in life. Mm -hmm. He's not at the stage. I don't care who he is at the moment, right? I care that he can get to class on time Turn in assignments, right? Right. And 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 perform at the at just the level and excel within the system, right? It's not his job to have an individual voice that is unique to everybody else at that moment. To me, what Soroya is in, and one of the things like to me, the part of this that the this this discussion about his origins and his education is what skills did he have to absorb and demonstrate 
in, as part of the system he grew up in. What did that force him to learn? Right? Mm-hmm. He can decide what he's going to do with those skills later in life. But the interesting thing that's the question before us, you and me, Jeff, right now, right, talking about artists and educating artists is what do we require of artists and what do we demand of them up to a certain age before we say you've got the skill set you needed to to now go off on your own and explore what you want to do? So Roya has got in front of us a monumental multi-figural painting. It's got a lot of complication to it. It's not a super exciting painting from our perspective. It's not as interesting as the boat painting that we started off with. It's not as complicated. It's more complicated than that boat painting, but not in good ways, right? Yeah. It's got all these figures. It's got all these gestures with hands. It's got all this smoke. It's got... It's not... I don't like this painting very much, but as a demonstration of his arsenal, it's impressive. It's very impressive. impressive. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's managed to put all these figures, a lot of figures in the same space, not to mention architectural elements, the cannons included. I would include those as architectural elements. All convincing perspective. They all work with one another. And not only that, but one of the hardest things about multi-figure painting I find, aside from what I've already said, that's also one of the hardest things, but is just being a director. And at 20 years old, he's already quite the director. I mean, he's got- Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it, yeah. It's hard to do that. It's because it's hard enough just to be a good painter. And then, but to be a multi-figure painter, you, to be a good one, you also have to be a good director. And you have to tell a story with a snapshot and make sure that every character in the story, characters even being still life and architectural elements, every character in that story serves the narrative. And it's really easy to just paint an impressive wheel or cannon or figure and, and think that that's going to carry the painting, but it doesn't if, if it, if it doesn't help the narrative Mm -hmm. or the composition, right? So I don't, man, for 20 years old, Frank, for a hundred years old, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) I I gotta, I want to show you something in contrast that kind of blows my mind. And that tells you a lot about Soroya's skill set. Go to that last painting. Okay. So Soroya wins an award at the contest in Madrid. And he wins the right to go study. I'll go to the one right before it, right before that. There we are. He wins the right to go to the school in Rome, which is the equivalent of going to graduate school. Um, and uh, he's one of he's one of just a couple artists who win the right to go that year. So mission accomplished, right? That big painting of the defense of Madrid. The people in Madrid recognize it, and they say. Great, you are just as good as any of the best students in Spain, and we're going to send you to our National Academy in Rome, where you're going to be studying for the next three years. But now you have to go back to Valencia, because this is how the rules worked, and you have to get local funding from the local government as a Valencian, because Madrid's not going to pay for it. Valencia has to paint for its own artists to go. Hmm. And the school in Valencia says to him, okay, 
the lo- and they, they gather together. You're going to love this as an artist. Everybody who's listening to this, who's ever done a commission for like a, 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 a committee is going to love this. They say, okay, if we're going to pay for you to go from Valencia to Rome and to be um, on scholarship, then you have to paint a painting for us in Valencia that we can hang in our city hall that demonstrates to us that you have the skills. So he paints this painting called The Cry of the Payeter, the the newspaper man. And it's declaring that that this newspaper guy, who's the, the tallest one, in the far in the in the upper the the far right the one with the flag that he is yep that he um he's making the news that napoleon and are and his army have invaded spain it's also a history painting from a hundred years well you know 75 years earlier in the history of valencia and it's a nash it's a it's a moment of pride in valencia that everybody talked about how their grandfather was there when the newspaper man in the town square announced that napoleon had invaded and soroya only has three months to do the painting and it's huge it's also as big as the other painting and he hires he he gets all of the family members and the children of the councilman on the committee to pose in the painting and he makes sure that he gets everybody's portrait in it so that they can say when they look at it and they're judging whether or not he did it right, hey, that's my son. Hey, that's my granddaughter. Hey, that's me. So he plays He's the game. Smart. And that's why it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a mess of a painting because in the painting, not only does he only have three months to do it, but he's got to get every face of every council person's relative in there who's helping make the decision as to whether or not he gets a scholarship. But look, this shows you what somebody under those demands in a period of three months can do in an eight by 10 foot painting. Three yeah, months, incredible. eight by 10 feet. He's got maybe what, 40 portraits, 30 portraits that he's done in there. And he's got to make it work even though it's messy and he's got to get all those portraits in. The other one he can at least focus on only five real figures and then make the others kind of vague in this one. He's got to get everybody in it. Yeah, that's wild. But look, it's interesting so, to look how loose it is and take his, take this guy in the front. There's almost no paint on there. Go to the next image and you can see a more up close image of it. That's not really up close, but it gives you a little better idea. Yeah. Look how transparent see, that is. It's just underpainting. Mm-hmm. He's just throwing totally it down. It. Yeah, he's going fast. He's going fast. So this, <laughs> but you know, if you compared it to that unfinished market scene that you and I saw with the multiple perspectives yeah. and the very quick drawing, you can see how those skills have transferred, right? Yeah, absolutely. Those skills of doing, you know, look at just how he does highlights. If you just followed the bright lead white throughout this thing, it's almost like those are in lines going across in areas, swirling through it. If you zoom out and you kind of fuzz your eyes out a little bit, yeah, um, you can see. Go back one painting, you can see how he's controlling the values and trying to get your focus towards that guy in the back. But it, it's 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 a hard thing to do. But his skills have led up to doing large, fast, multi-figural work at this point. 
And to me, this painting is a more interesting study of what his skill set is, not because it's good again, right? Because he he wouldn't look back and say, that's really good. But it's almost like you say to a chef, um, okay, you've been to the Cordon Bleu, and uh, we've got 40 people coming for dinner, and these are the only ingredients you have. You have one day to do it, to cook a meal in. Do your best. And then you see what he can do with a limited amount of ingredients and time and and how well he can work under pressure, right? Yeah. And and that's where his skill set shows up. Do you think that the pressure I mean, I'm assuming there was a deadline of three months. It's just he didn't just finish in three months. He probably had a deadline, or is that it was a deadline. Yeah, okay. he had a deadline that had to be finished. And they're seeing it come together because they know that all their relatives are posing for it and they're posing for it too. But right? do you think so doing something like this, it's so ambitious, this early in his career, helped to sort of solidify his approach to painting? Because he's forced to paint quickly in this painting in a way that he hadn't been in, or he hadn't in the other multi-figure painting we looked at. And uh, there's a lot of awesome things that are happening because of it. I just wonder, I wonder if I think, circumstance sort of steered him into his, you know, his future self. You know, he has a quote that is so when he's, I think, 60 years old. No, he's about 50. He gets inducted into the academy. When you're inducted into the academy in Madrid or anywhere, this is tracks throughout Europe, you're given the opportunity to share your philosophy as an artist. And he starts off by saying, and I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it here as I'm translating it. He says um, that um, grammar shouldn't be taught to young artists and rules because you'd extinguish their creative flame. You shouldn't teach them rules and grammar as a kid. Hmm. And he essentially goes on to say, my education was misguided because they taught me too many rules and that, and I had to unlearn a bunch of things. And I kind of want to strangle him when I hear that. Yeah, I don't know. Because, because I, I look at his generation, this is one of my theories, and this is where a very controversial thing for me to say. We're starting to see in his generation the rise of the belief that you're a creative genius that you're born with a set of skills, that you don't earn those skills. And I think that Soroya was a mix of the two. I think he truly believed that he had worked very hard his whole life to develop his skill set. But I think there was part of him that believed that he had a kind of genius. And I think there's some truth to that. But there's part of me that wants to say, listen, Soroya, you had a very, um, intense art education as a kid that forced you from to learn years old. those grandmaster chess skills. You had to learn from a very young age how to paint oils, how to paint fast, how to how to um, do drawing skills with with oil, how to do multifigural skills. You you were not exceptional in many ways as somebody who was doing oils as a 14 and 15 year old who'd been painting for four or five years in oils. You weren't exceptional. You were good, but 
there's clearly a progression of your skill set over time of you getting better and better and better as you're solving those problems. It's not because you woke up one day and said, you know what, I guess, you know, I feel a tingle in my fingers because God gave it to me. You know what I mean? It didn't happen that way. So I, it's he's a puzzle, and so is his generation. I think that Soroya, Zorn, Boldini, a lot of these artists were living at a time where what was unique to their time was the ability to paint in oils cheaply from a young age over and over and over again from a very young age, which was not encouraged in earlier generations. Earlier generations were not allowed to paint in oil until their very late teens or early 20s. Hmm. And they were just taught drawing, right? And so we look at these guys and say, oh, how did they learn how to paint with oil? They came out of nowhere. No. They'd been painting for 10 or 15 years as teenagers in oil over and over again, over and over and over and over again in oil. You know, they're solving problems with that. Um, mm. Were they also were, were they also part of a huge population of artists who were painting at the time? And there was a lot of money going into arts education because this was pre-film, pre-movie, pre-CGI, pre-all this other stuff. And so you had, you know, Soroya was one of 20,000 artists in Spain, and he was one of 100 who really hit the top rung. Yeah. You know, it's true that the funnel was full of more talent and there was more money in it. That's true, right? That's true. But if these are the things that I, as an historian, am trying to figure out when I see an artist and when I talk to contemporary artists and they say, I could never paint like Soroya. And my reaction is, you know, the brain is pretty plastic up until its 50s and 60s, more plastic than we thought. You can learn a lot mm -hmm. in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. You, you don't have to say, I can never learn a language or I can never learn how to do these things. No, you can, you can do it, you know. Keep healthy and keep working at it. Just do a lot of it. Do a lot of it, right? A lot. Hey, I got it. Let me show you something real quick. Okay, this whole episode's got me really thinking about something. I want to show you something, get your thoughts on it. Okay, so I had a girl start studying with me when she was 13. Her name was Juliana Paler. Okay, she goes by okay. Juju. So by the time she was 18, she was doing this. Wow. So in five years, in five years, she did that. Let me switch screens here. Wow. Wow. So I guess the reason I, I point that out is because it is, is she very talented? Does she have an aptitude for it? Absolutely. But, you know, she wasn't doing that at 13, but five years of full-time study, she actually homeschooled in order to do it uh, full-time, was, you know, that makes a huge difference. And especially at such a young age to start that young and then and have that and be so dedicated to it. But I, I imagine her in 10 years going back and saying, ah, my education, 
geez, it, it, all those rules just ruined me. I wish I, you know, I should have just been able to be creative from day one. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not, I can't get in Soroya's head. So I, I can't, I don't, yeah. I didn't live at his time, but I'm kind of with you yeah. that that's a little frustrating to me too, because I've even been there personally where I forget how bad I was you know, and how much I yeah. needed to be trained, how much I needed just some good academic rules and principles just to get me over that hump so that then I could be creative. And, you know, I was yeah. talking to my daughter recently, Addie, cause she's studying with me now. She's also very talented and uh, she's worried she's not creative because all she's doing is studies and after study, after study. And she's like, but I don't know if I'm even a creative person. And I told her, I said, Addie, you know, I'm 48 years old and I'm telling you, create, you can't really know your creative potential until you have enough information. Imagine if you were floating in space and I said to you, okay, I want you to design a carburetor and you don't, you're floating in space. You don't even know what metal is. You don't know what certain gases are. You don't know what fire is. You don't know what air pressure is. You don't even yeah. know, you know nothing. How the heck are you gonna design a carburetor? You couldn't possibly even yeah. think of it, right? Yeah. So without this is... without this foundation, there is nothing to base your creativity on. No, there's nothing. It's, it's, it's so, and that's part of what's maddening to me about the Soroya comment. But, you know, if, if I had to be fair to why he said it, he's now in Madrid and he's now proved everybody who, there's a period a little after this where he kind of gets rejected by the people in Madrid. And then he gets a, an amazing career in France and Monet calls him the greatest living painter of light. And then all of a sudden the people in Madrid want him again. And when he has an opportunity to kind of rub it in their faces, he says, look, you guys didn't teach me anything, right? I learned, I, I am who I am. I can see why he said it from that perspective. Yeah. But I think that it, there's a quote by Whistler that comes to my mind where he said, when, when the muses come or when inspiration comes, they'll find me working at my easel. I think that, the older you get, you realize that creativity, inspiration are not as important as a work ethic and a skill set that's developed over time. And that you you look at, um, it's one of the things as an art historian, when I talk with a lot of my colleagues who are also PhDs, who are obsessed with personality cults of artists who write manifestos in the modernist era. And you say, okay, well, so what would have happened if everyone who was a musician decided in the 1920s to 30s to 40s to abandon scales and instruments that had developed over centuries, and you just handed them a saxophone when they showed up to school and said, play this however you want. It's legitimate no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever sound comes out of that, as long as it's personal to you, that's what matters. But none of them could read music. None of them could 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 uh, could play along with others in an orchestra because none of them had learned any of those skill sets, right? Yeah. Soroya and his generation grew up working 
with a very disciplined approach to the tools that they had with them. Like you're saying, they were, they, they were, he, he as an, as a nine-year-old went to night school and was told, Hey, by the end of your education, you're going to learn how to do plates and fabric and color photographs. And then one of the teachers said, no, 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 no. I'm going to teach you how to do oil paintings, right? They're going to, that are going to go into our local municipality building, or maybe even the Capitol building or the Senate. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. But you're going to have to learn. I mean, they're large multifigural paintings and you're going to have to learn how to paint like the old masters, like Velasquez did. And we're going to teach you how to paint with oils and how to do still life and how to do multifigural work. And then you're going to, you know, over a period of six or seven years, you're going to figure out how to, after you've done thousands of paintings, maybe you'll get there. Right. And then Soroya 20 years later says, we shouldn't teach kids any of those skills because <laughs> it, it suffocates their creativity. Just let their genius show <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, it's this is the contradiction of the era. We sometimes blame the modernists for the end of the academic tradition in art and say, oh, it was the modernists, it was Picasso, it was Mondrian, it was the Impressionists, whoever it was that destroyed that academic tradition. An alternative way of saying it is maybe it was Soroya and his academically trained artists who said, you can't learn what I learn, what I do, what I do. I'm a genius. I'm not going to teach these same <laughs> skills with the same rigorous level because they can't be taught because you either have it or you don't, you hmm. know, hmm. and it's, it's not entirely true. That's an exaggeration, but as an art, as an historian, I think of things in these, these questions of, you know, what, as an artist today showed up to me and said, I want to paint like Soroya. What would I say? I'd say, well, you know, you can kind of, you know, you could, you could, you could do a lot of what he did. You're not going to have the benefit of skipping out on elementary, junior high and high school. <laughs> he did. Yeah. To work on art full time. Maybe you'll be 10 years later than he is, but you also didn't have like, you weren't orphaned and the school system wasn't as great as we make it out to be in the 19th century for art. It wasn't, we're, we have a lot more tools, like you say, right? Yeah, we got he the had photography he could work with, but we've got, we've got like all of the history of art. He had to travel to Madrid to copy Velasquez, mm -hmm. right? You know, we, we've got every artist that we can pull up, that we can go see and we can learn. We know chemically how they did things. We know they had all kinds of fallacious ideas about, how art was made that was actually wrong that we found out later. He didn't know exactly how Velasquez made his work. We know how he did his things now. Mm -hmm. We don't have to guess. We have some advantages to Soroya. The one thing I would tell an artist is paint, 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 paint. Just paint as much as you can, right? And and uh, it's that's not going to get you there alone. You've got to have good models. You've got to have good critique. And we know this, we know studying um, any expertise that you have to have an environment where you're looking at good models, you get good feedback, you have good competition to get you through these things, right? 
to in order to improve gradually that skill set. But what we can learn that started this conversation out is that he's not a lone genius who appeared out of the head of Zeus and started painting out of nowhere the way that he painted. He gradually improved to become Soroya. Mm -hmm. Gradually improved to get there. Doesn't mean he, he, did, he wasn't gifted. He was very gifted. But he worked his pants off, too. Yeah. Didn't appear out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't believe anyone could be Soroya. But I also don't believe Soroya could be have been Soroya without his education. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Micah, that was brilliant. That was a great episode. It's fun, isn't it? Heck isn't yeah, it man. fun talking about this? <laughs> yeah, it really is. And you know, it's really hopeful to look deep into an artist's life like that and see, because you don't, you know, I even tell my students, burn your old work, hide it. You don't want people to see the garbage. You want to put your best foot forward. And I think that has been a practice, maybe not literally burning work, but hiding early work for artists for centuries. And so it's part of what contributes to this almost godlike um, impression that we have of all these great masters because they've hidden their humanity away. They've hidden their weaknesses yeah. away. But it's really, it's great that you brought this to us just so we can see that even though while, yes, there's no question, he was better than average and more gifted than average person, uh, it is hopeful that he did have to start doing some pretty lousy paintings. Yeah. Like we, like we yep. all do. That's inspiring. So yeah. thank you for bringing that to, uh, to our audience, Micah. It was great. It was great talking to you again. Always great talking to you, Jeff. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.